Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. On the show this week, who'd work in TV? With reports of lowering safety standards and financial hardships on the rise, I speak to Marcus Ryder about a new Christmas appeal. Also on the programme, Top Gear is being rested by the BBC, but for how long? Uh, All that plus we follow the latest twists and turns on the Telegraph sale, TikTok pranks that went too far, and in the Media Quiz, we guess the biggest winners of the week. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Sam Altman was reinstated as OpenAI CEO this Wednesday, just five days after being sacked for not being candid in his communications with the board. Altman's rehiring makes him the company's fourth CEO in just five days. Uh, ITV hosts their annual upfronts this week, the ITV Palooza, in front of a rowdy audience and lots of quips about Nigel Farage. Uh, ITV also revealed it would show Extraordinary, a Disney TV show, on their platforms in 2024. And the TV and actress Annabelle Giles passed away on Monday after a month-long battle with a brain tumour. Uh, Giles had a varied and successful career, appearing on panel shows like Have I Got News For You and Radio 4's Just A Minute. Uh, those playing tribute included Sue Perkins, Christian and Groom Murphy and Sarah Green. Uh, now joining me at the London Podcast Studios, we welcome back the media writer and journalist Scott Bryan. How are you, Ice? I'm very good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good. It's a busy time of year, isn't it? It is quite busy as we get towards Christmas. Also, I've noticed that you've been busy on the old Guardian live blog. <laughs> yes, I've been doing a Bake Off live blog, following each week within the tent, having a big old moan about how things aren't as good as they used to be. You know, just tell, a general tell me, sense. tell me how it works. Do you do it from home? Do you, I do it from home. How, how early do you log on? Uh, I log on half an hour before. Mm. There's a lovely community of people who follow it every single week. And then people who try to bake along with all of the different technicals who share me their mm. updates with how they've been getting on. Um, and, it's, and it's lovely to, I think, have a place that's all about Bake Off in one place rather than when you're on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it is now and you're scrolling on and it's just despair with other stories <laughs> in the horrible, yes. sad world that, that we're living in at the moment. So, um, but I mean, I think it's, it's really, it's, it, in terms of where we are with this um, series, we're now in a, we're heading towards the final. Mm-hmm. Um, good, good series, bad series? An okay series. Better than last year? Yes, anything was better than last year. I think that they've gone back to basics in terms of the recipes. They've listened to the audience about all of, all of the complaints they were having. I think Alison Hammond is an absolute delight. 
um, in the show um, and has such, such, such a great presence. I think the issue was with about midway through, they just decided to do a really hard technical just to kind of find flaws with people. And mm. it just kind of felt like Catch they were going, out. yeah, it felt, felt like, like they were going back to old, old tricks again. Also joining me from the Press Gazette, it's Charlotte Tobit. Hello. Hello, Matt. Have you been watching Bake Off 2? Yes, and that technical drove me mad. <laughs> so explain which one it was, people at home. Uh, do you remember what Bake It actually was? They had to... I mean, it felt like they were baking something that Prulifa fought up in a dream. Um, <laughs> oh, was this the sponge pudding? The sponge pudding. Uh, and you were supposed to steam it, weren't you, for... 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Yeah, it feels like you know more about this. Yeah, it feels like you know more than I do. Is it the one where... Basically, the real issue is just the amount of time they give mm, them. And mm. if they're all bad, but they're all just underbaked, then clearly it's just a problem with the actual task, well, not the... I... Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, that was just me agreeing. Can, can I say that I did bake a technical bake from this year's Bake Off oh, which, which one, one? <laughs> I <laughs> uh, I baked the lemon and thyme bunt cake mm. how did it go I'm going to show you a oh. picture and we'll put it on the YouTube feed. oh that looks lovely that's, that's bit, really a little good. bit crispy around yeah, the side a little bit overdone Present, otherwise presentation good I really can't comment when it comes to other people's <laughs> bakes have you seen my baking I mean I'm just going to be politically neutral is it still on, on the BuzzFeed archives uh, yeah yes. very much uh, so very cool. if you fancy having a look at it uh, go and explore um, uh, okay uh, first story um want to talk about a stream of stories actually this week about working conditions in the film and tv industry but it could have implications for every sector uh, because of the ad downturn um first up a survey by beck and the mark milson foundation into these safety concerns scott what did they reveal so they revealed that there is a lot of concern within the industry in regards to the health and safety on productions um they had a survey and uh, almost three quarters of the 700 or so people responded said that, quote, their safety or that of a colleague has been compromised at work. And of course, um, I mean, th- this comes from Beck too, that represent workers, also Mark Milson Foundation that was set up after the death of a British camera operator, Mark Milson, who was killed in 2017, was filming for a cast stunt for Black Earth Rising. I mean, I think it feeds into the general kind of situation that many freelancers are finding themselves at the moment in which they might not feel that they can speak up where they are working just because of the stress that is existing within the industry right now. I mean, you wouldn't want to complain, Mm. I feel, about your working practices because I think there there might be a mentality of you should be thankful to be working here, particularly at the moment where opportunities are harder to come by. And I think there is a general sense of in the industry of of people feeling that they cannot speak up because either they're, um, I mean, in the whole range of issues, not just in regards to this one, because they feel that being a freelance economy, they will somehow not be able to get the work um, for next job down the line. I mean, that's a very understandable reason why people might not want to speak out. I think such surveys such as these, I think, highlight the concerns that are happening within the industry. And I think highlighting the necessity of there being more stringent rules because the consequences, particularly when it involves safety on productions, could be, you know, really rather mm. catastrophic. I mean, Charlotte, there's also sort of obviously a long history of long working hours, aren't there, in the media? Um, but it sort of felt that in in that case, sort of progress had been made, maybe sort of working from home. Um, do you think 
do you think we're sort of t- taking a bit of a step back or is this is it just really talking about what's always what's always happened probably has always happened yeah but um it like in many areas of society we're in trying to improve mm. things like it, the past 10 years a lot of things have been unacceptable that previously were just the norm you know work is a big part of that and yeah more recently working at home I wonder if um it's good that this has come up because yeah with um lots of the talk about working at home and offices I think people uh, like crews out in the field and things could maybe get forgotten about mm. um you know, people love a narrative about you know officing commuting and yeah, home desks and you know but this is something quite different and but it's still very very serious so um the fact that they're um making sure that um this isn't forgotten and you know six years after a death is not um you know it's still progress can be made and we make sure that it happens so it'll be interesting to see what happens next how seriously they take it well sort of connected i mean we heard this week that the bbc is going to be resting top gear in the aftermath of an accident that almost killed presenter freddie flintoff um i mean it's got it's sort of connected isn't it i mean obviously mm. there's some implications for for the brand uh, but it does play to that to that study yeah i mean i think to many people who have been following this story this official cancellation or not really a, can- a cancellation suspension mm. uh it's not really a surprise i mean the crew as I know, has not been in place for a long time now. Um, many of the people who were attached to this program are now working elsewhere. Mm. Um, and of course, safety, in particularly in regards to Freddie Flintoff's uh, injuries and recovery, is the absolute priority. And I think it would have been um, uh, wrong for the BBC to have just continued ma- making Top Gear um, uh, as as things currently stand. I think what was really in- interesting to me was comments by James May on the Today programme or the Today podcast yesterday, as in Wednesday, where he talked about actually maybe the whole of Top Gear and motoring shows need a rethink, which I felt was really rather interesting when it came from somebody who, of course, was so closely tied to it. Well, I heard that interview too, and he sort of said, even our show, meaning um, uh, the great Grand, uh, Grand Grand Tour, he said it's basically a travel show. Yeah, I mean, now, and it has it, been for some time. Yeah, sort of car-themed. Because they went um, all out for very expensive episodes whilst being incredibly cryptic about how many people were watching. Um, and then, of course, it became uh, many, so much fewer episodes. And now it's like once in a while, mm. whilst, of course, the onus has now moved towards Clarkson's Farm and, and James May has now got his very BBC Two-style programmes on that platform, essentially going to Japan or doing whatever he, he likes. And he's a great broadcaster at that. I think, obviously, a lot of Top Gear, even though with the show in more modern years, has tried to, I think, reflect um, a lot more our sort of modern cultural inclusivity. Mm. I think it's still, just by default... I think pulls itself back to this kind Most of naughty thing that doesn't really, I think, exist that much <laughs> mm. anymore. So I feel that it will take a creative in five years, let's say, to come back to it and say, "Oh, hang on, how can we we spin it in this way without feeling like it's treading on the coattails of what made that show so successful in the first place?" I mean, Charlotte, it's difficult for BBC Studios. I mean, this is sort of a core program uh, for them, and there's versions, and there's the website, and there, there's magazines. Uh, it doesn't help the big BBC Studios global expansion, does it? There are probably other things they can do with the brand that 
they can evolve it. I mean, like to your previous point about um, have things always been like this or how's it changed? You know, Richard Hammond has some really serious crushes on Top Gear, mm. and but now we're at a stage where something like that happens and and things are over. Whereas before it was kind of like, oh, that was bad. Okay, mm. like after a kind of sufficient pause, we'll move on. Mm. But um, it just feels like ev- things like that are taken so much more seriously now. And so perhaps there's a space for a kind of a more modern Top Gear, like um, Scott was saying, you know, it's d- it's time to change the brand a bit. It's kind of maybe a bit stagnant, mm. but there is some brand recognition there but that doesn't mean it always has to be the same thing i mean this is a week when uh, bbc are relaunching doctor who it's 60th yeah. 60th birthday i mean uh, that had that's had some hiatuses over its time as well um they they are past masters at, at recreating something they certainly are i think we have the right creative people involved mm. it can certainly bring new life into the franchise i think the pressure on the bbc to create globally successful brands is more than ever now i think that before mm. it was like the icing on the cake wouldn't it be great to have a show in 150 countries or so now it's a bit of a necessity just to plug the 300 or so million pounds worth of um uh programming cuts that they've had to do because of a license fee squeeze and i think you know it's very much a priority now of of the bbc to think about how they can extend the show in any way they can i think it's a a a primary reason why doctor who joined up with disney plus because Mm. its distribution is far wider they could probably have involvement as a co-pro in terms of funding into it too although we don't really know that much about budgets so this is this is this the bbc you can see watch doctor who on uh, terrestrial channels and iplayer but outside of the uk uh, it's going to be on disney plus globally and they've they've stumped up some cash exclusively yes yes they've stumped up Potentially, we'd imagine quite a lot of cash, yes, uh, which is probably going into the budget. But also for the BBC's benefit, it's visibility. Mm. I think more than ever, because of course they've got BBC channels in every single country and market. Practically, I was on ho- holiday last year, and I was, um, I think, in a very nice sunny climb in um, uh, in South America. I turned on the TV, and it was Rick Edwards. <laughs> on a random game show followed by an episode of Doctors. I was like, who is watching this? Who is watching this? Of course, great show by Rick Edwards, but absolutely random location for it to be on. Um, but Sh- yeah. Uh, Charlotte, I was at the Audio Production Awards uh, this week and I was talking to someone about the BBC and they were saying uh, that someone was talking to them and they were concerned that the BBC basically are a sort of international media organisation sort of with a contract with the government to make some UK programming. Uh, is that the case? Are they transitioning to their sort of future post-license fee world where actually being a global brand is is more important than chucking out some public service telly shows to the UK? Mm, well, obviously I look at it usually through the prism of what they do in the news mm. space. And um, there's been a lot over the past year, as we've talked about before, about local news and what they're doing. And they cut back on local radio, although not as much as they originally intended, but they are investing in online local news and that upsets the um commercial news providers in the mm. uk so i mean it feel, it does feel like whatever they do whether it's um locally or nationally in the uk or internationally it kind of upsets someone and they're never going to win with everyone but um it they are kind of by their nature i suppose trying to do all things to all people and as um we already said they are having to plug a gap by doing more internationally. So 
you certainly understand why they need to do that because there are the commercial opportunities there. I mean, Scott, you've been talking to some of the Doctor Who lot over the past few weeks. Yes. Are they um, are they making a, a UK show or are they making a thing for the whole world? Oh, I think it's very much a UK show. Mm. I mean, I think it continues on the heritage and success that Doctor Who has had since 2005. I don't think that's, that's any different. And I think that Russell T Davis has always had a... Um, very smart take on the show which is still have stuff for the fans but actually make it a show that is attracting a large audience of people every single week Um, not leaning into the fandom too much giving them enough to be satisfied but they're always going to watch without fail anyway Um, I think sort of following on from the previous point I think it all comes down to about where the BBC is heading next it's really going to be down to um, its license fee renegotiation because the BBC is still making very much um, the plan to be a universal service. But if the government has its way, you know, it wants to make it into a subscription service or into a tiered service. The moment that happens, the BBC as we know it is over. The moment, you know, that is it as a universal broadcaster. But if because it is then going to be catering specifically to those people who are applying for subscriptions. That's when it will be thinking about services of who can be paying the most money for it? How can we go and do that? And therefore the BBC is not really serving everybody anymore. But I think this is a, a bit about them getting a slight march on that. And if you can, if they can turn themselves into a more global business faster, yeah. they've got a, a better chance of coping with whatever they're given later on. Yeah. But it's difficult to to get there quickly. I sort of think that they're trying to do both at the same time. Mm. I think they're trying to satisfy audiences who feel that they will not get their shows from another broadcaster. So still trying to do all of the public service broadcasting commitments that they need to. Remember, there are Ofcom guidelines that say you have to have so many hours of religious programs, so many hours of educational programs, so many hours of factual programming. Like the BBC will have to make those regardless. But also at the same time, trying to now, I think, be very competitive in a global market where there's a lot of money being spent, having those big shows that can help bring in cash. And then that can help, I guess, sustain the universality of the BBC as well. So it's so it's trying to do this two things. I think it's also worthwhile sort of recognising the BBC is a hugely highly regarded global brand. I mean, it is known for having a very different approach than CNN and other fantastic broadcasters and, and broadcasters. Well, so, there's particularly a lot of opportunities around that. And Charlotte, mm. they're doing a lot of news expansion in the US, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, lots of British um, news brands are actually um, kind of, we're kind of reaching a, not a limit in the UK, but certainly, obviously there's a, there is a limit um, of advertising and uh, revenue and subscriptions, but there's a lot of untapped potential in the US. Obviously, a lot of, um, so, well, some of the brands are going for the big advertising market. Some of them are going for subscriptions from people that they feel aren't being catered to yet. And the BBC obviously um, doesn't, uh, it kind of, it still it has a unique place among those UK people that are going to the US, but that they see an opportunity both in news and entertainment that that isn't quite being filled. Uh, Thanks both. Uh, Moving back to conditions for the sector and as part of our ongoing coverage of the commissioning slowdown and how it's affected the freelance market, I spoke to Marcus Ryder, MBE, uh, the CEO of the film and TV charity. He's just announced a Christmas appeal to support crews and their families. Uh, I started by asking Marcus about the hardships people have faced this year. So to put it in uh, context, in April... We, we give out financial hardship grants. So 
it's a limit of £750, but on, on average, it's we hand out grants of about £550. Mm. And uh, it doesn't seem like a, sound like a lot of money, but it's a difference between someone being able to pay the rent or not paying the rent. It's a difference between someone being evicted and not being evicted, mm. being able to pay the gas bill or not paying their electricity bill, choosing between food and electricity. And uh, if you then combine that, which we do, with financial advice and and debt advice it's enough to keep the wolves away from the door and then to restructure your finances restructure your debts and um, work out what you're going to do next and keep people in the industry and so in April 30,000 pounds went out our door in those hardship grants by July because of there was the writer strike, but more the US writer strike, but more because of um, uh, you know cost of living crisis, uh, BBC license fee freeze, mm. ITV and Channel Four advertising is down, so there's commissioning freeze, and so what you started to see, and you don't have to see Bechtu's stats on this. Um, what you started to see. The need was greater. The demand on those hardship funds were greater. So by the time we get to July, 30,000 out the door had jumped to almost double, which was £55,000 a month in July going out the door. Then we had the actor strike. So in August, that then jumped to £173,000 wow. out of the door. And, and that's then, that productions being shut down because there's no actors to, to be in them, particularly in, yeah. in in drama, which obviously we do huge amounts now in, in the UK of for, you, for US. You shut down one production, that's thou- that's literally thousands of people mm. um, out of work. So we thought 173,000 was bad enough. Mm. Come September, it was over a quarter of a million we were handing out in grants. Now, Actor Strike, thankfully, has come to an end. And we saw almost an immediate drop um in um in demand for in applications but what we've seen now is a new normal Mm. it hasn't gone back to thirty thousand. it's back to eighty thousand. you know so we're looking at 150 percent increase we're looking at 200 percent increase in what we would normally see this time of the year especially in the run-up to christmas and with the amount of money that we've had to um uh, dip into our reserves we need more money to actually pay um, to keep that kind of level up to make sure that we are not turning people away because we have a new normal now. The new normal is um, the fact that there's still a commissioning freeze. You know, ITV and Channel 4 are not commissioning the way they used to. The streamers are not um, uh, are working to tighter financial models than they were Mm. previously i mean i'm sure you've covered the the, the cash spigot has been somewhat closed yeah i'm sure you've covered this Mm. i'm not sure you have covered this um uh, in in previous shows and so you you know the the reality that there is um uh, and i think the people that are really taking the brunt of that is the idea that we have a freelance model and the freelance model um puts all the financial risk onto or not all of it I'm sure people from Netflix and Amazon. But there's, got, there's a push. But, there's a push down, isn't there? There's a push down but, from the networks and production companies, and then production companies down to freelancers. Yeah, and and we we've seen it in terms of um, uh, where they would have employed somebody if a production lasted, if, you know, if a non-scripted production lasted, let's say, three months. 
they are bringing people on for as short a period of time as possible. So you will only have that series producer on for a tiny period of time. Mm-hmm. They will make sure that um, that director can come on for a shorter period of time and then the minute they can kick the director off they're, they're kicked off and and so that there are longer periods of time between work mm. and then if all of a sudden something isn't commissioned or something is the commissioning is paused you know the the real fear that i have and the reason why i'm so uh, would appeal for people to give to the charity is because we're seeing people leave the industry. We're seeing... Um, well, it's potentially a massive a massive issue, isn't it? So it's all well and good to say, oh, there's a shutdown, but it'll, it'll come back, or the, the strikes are over, or you know, the commissioning will restart, but there won't necessarily be people to, to do the work anymore. That's, that is the massive problem. And it's, not, and it's no longer a hypothetical um, threat or, or fear. It's real. You know, it's people are leaving the the industry where anecdotally we are getting more and more people um, saying they just can't make it work anymore. What do freelancers uh, say about how it's affecting them? So we do a survey every two years of the entire industry um, and called the Looking Glass Survey. And that's another reason to contribute. <laughs> Please contribute to the. We have to measure, don't you? You have to because we have to. You, you can't solve what you don't measure. Mm. What gets measured gets done. Mm. If you look at that survey, um, in the year preceding that survey, twenty nine percent of people of respondents to that survey working in film and television and cinema um, had suicidal ideation. Twenty nine percent. That's a third. Why is it so high? Because things are so hard, okay. is, is, is the reality. Yep. You know, um, uh, not knowing when your next job is coming. Um, so some of the drivers that we've identified is bullying. Mm. So bullying is rife in our industry. It's, it's an issue which people have acknowledged now. And so we do a bullying service to actually try and address that. And there's other, um, and broadcasters and large indies also acknowledge that it has been a problem. And so it is being addressed. But it's not solved. And often that's levels of pressure, isn't it? So if you're finding it tough already, it's another level that's being yeah. being pushed on you. And sometimes uh, the pressure you feel pushes someone to, to bully further. Exactly. And again, all these things are interconnected. And mm. if you have smaller budgets and you have quicker, quicker turnarounds and what have you, so all these things are interconnected. Um, loneliness is also a massive driver um, in cause for mental ill health and so it's how do we address that and again in a in a freelance setting where you come in for um, one job and then you don't have that same team around you or you, you know um, that's also another problem but there's a number of drivers as to why in our sector mental health is is an issue so as I said the stats and the stories that we hear 29% of people in that year um, had um, suicidal ideation, 11% um, committed acts of self-harm. And so, you know, this is just a indication of the fact that we have a mental health crisis. And so we offer free um, counselling, we offer therapy, um, we have um, bullying advice, um, support as well. All of this costs money, you know. But if we don't do that, you know, there obviously, just as 
loving and caring human beings. We want to support these people. But if we love film and television, we want them to stay in the industry. Mm. These, are, these are highly skilled people. We are... Oh, it's always dangerous when you pick another profession thing. These are not X and like you know how highly skilled those people are. You know, you know. So okay, I'm not gonna. But also like back to motivated self interest. Yeah, you know, if these people uh, leave the industry, um, you know, if you're working for a production company, you're going to have to find new people. You're going to have to train them. You're going to have to exactly. expend more time and effort and money to 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 do that. And the and the reality is is that we live in a um, international market, and a large part of it is. Um, uh, let's be frank about it it's American productions mm. saying where can I go and while the tax relief and the tax breaks are really important in attracting these massive productions one of the brilliant reasons one of the fantastic reasons that they come to Britain is not just because of the tax break let's be honest about it it's also because we have the infrastructure we have the skill base so if you you know had tax breaks in a place which did not have the the skills and the and the human capital that could actually deliver it won't make any difference and so if we if these people leave the industry you know the the reality is is that they will go elsewhere mm. those those massive u.s productions will go elsewhere and then that will have a multiplier effect and then you'll see um uh, thousands hundreds of thousands of people out of work that was marcus Ryder. we'll drop an extended interview with marcus on the feed for monday uh, to donate to the film and tv appeal head to filmtvcharity.org.uk filmtvcharity.org.uk there's a link to donate in the show notes as well and if you've been affected by the issues raised remember there's always someone to talk to or text as well as the charity the samaritans can be reached on 116 123 and you can check the show notes for details about that outside the uk and ireland uh, we'll be back with more media news after this hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Scott and Charlotte are back. Now, I need to be careful not to say Scott and Charlene are back. That's what I really want to say. Especially sort of for you. Neighbours oh. flashback. <laughs> uh, but no, Scott and Charlotte are back. Uh, time for some more uh, news. Uh, the Telegraph auction has been paused. Uh, what's been happening latest latest turn of this screw let's just say earlier this week I had to have a proper oh god what is happening <laughs> what has happened what does this mean so <clears throat> to basically say what the latest is and it it might still have changed actually but because there was a deadline this afternoon so by the time this comes out who knows mm. but for now um the Barclay family he did own the Telegraph before Lloyd seized it because they owed them a billion pounds um in debt uh, they've got together with the former CNN president Jeff Zucker. Uh, in the he's now CEO of an investment group called Redbird IMI, and uh, they are based in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and then uh, them together with um, uh, some Abu Dhabi royalty. I can't remember his name, but he's the owner of Manchester City Football Club as well. Uh, they've put a bid together for about 1.2 billion, which would uh, buy back. Uh, the debt basically and then yeah they're get sort them... of saying never mind the sale how about we just pay back what we yeah, owe yeah so they kind of get first dibs almost mm, if they mm. can p- repay it um and then uh what um redbird imi said is if that happens then they essentially they would have the option to transfer that into shares and they would essentially uh want to do that as soon as possible and get full ownership and um so they put out a statement on so, monday so that's interesting so it's not that the Telegraph people want it back themselves. Well, it is a bit confusing. Or is it, we're going to own it with, with Redbird? There is a bit of a question mark over that, I think. Mm. Um, because previously it was framed as Barclays very much having mm. it back. But now it seems that it would kind of, it would pro- maybe be Jeff Zucker. Um, so m- more to follow, I'm sure. Um, yes. Is it worth 1.2 billion quid? Um. Because the other bidders maybe not weren't really yeah in that no ballpark. so they wouldn't have gone that high no no so it is over yeah but I suppose it gar- they, guarantees it for that consortium which is exactly why they would um, why Redbird get, are get, in. go first mm. yeah exactly so um, essentially now the sale the auction price has been paused while that's kind of looked at all the due diligence all the legal stuff etc. And so basically to stop the other potential bidders from having to bother while that might be mm. the main thing. So that's like um, mail owner Lord Rothermere, um, National World owner David Montgomery, uh, GB News investor Sir Paul Marshall. They were kind of the other front runners still. Um, so I'm sure they're still like waiting the wings to see what happens. What a so, gang. So, yeah. <laughs> but basically w- what happens next is... Um, The Culture Secretary, Lucy Fraser, has said she's minded to intervene with a public interest intervention notice and has asked Ofcom and the Competition and Markets Authority to look to see if there is anything that she should be uh, intervening over. And if so, they would uh, there would be like a proper investigation. And that's obviously because of the foreign money. Um, So now Uh, not not I mean, if you look at a lot of our national newspapers, past and present, the foreign people have owned them or and still yeah, the Murdoch press it's not you know UK it's yeah, a UK based uh, company Evening but it's owned by an Australian American based firm yeah and Evening Standard uh, Independent a uh, major um, 
shareholders of Jenny Leverdev. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's where we're at, basically. they, they Redbird had a chance to um, kind of respond and the deadline was uh, Thursday afternoon. Uh, and then Lucy Fraser will... We were kind of waiting. Yeah. I mean, Scott, it gives the... I mean, the government love getting involved in media things, mainly because mm. they're all ex-journalists. Um, <laughs> but uh, all of them, pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, with, with an approaching election, it sort of gives them the ability to, you know, make people sing their tune a little bit if they're going to decide what happens to deals. I mean, possibly. I mean, I just find this whole story rather fascinating just because of maybe the intentions of who wants to own these titles mm. really for. Because I feel like... For Murdoch, the Spectator has been something that I think he just has wanted mm. for ages. Just likes it, likes just the likes it, likes mm. the product. I read a really interesting article, I think, with Lord Rothermere. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was the Financial Times. It was the Times. It was in the Times. Close, <laughs> close <laughs> enough. Um, apologies, um, but that was, uh, I think, interesting because uh, you know they want to have it because um, uh, of the fact that the tele- Telegraph has built a good membership mm. model, has had a metered paywall, and but have an awful lot of people who they can reach on email. Mm. And it's something that they are trying to do with their own titles. But of course, if they had them in one big shop, then that would be very beneficial. Um, one big I, older right-wing pot. But I guess that, that would cause questions about with the competition yeah. market authorities about share what would happen to the i newspaper would mm. that get offloaded to somebody else and and so forth and then of course you look at gb news's um uh owner paul marshall and then you look at how gb news has been formed and you can see by just the sheer amount of cabinet ministers who are now as main hosts and, and presenters mm. that that's just purely i feel as a political influence tool rather than it is as a business enterprise well this is a, a lot of it is influence isn't it i mean this is um the the abby dabby investment this isn't because they're necessarily massive fans of the the great journalistic work of the team at the, of the Telegraph, it's that they wanted a trophy asset to sit alongside Man City. Yeah, and it was interesting that the Telegraph themselves had a leader column this week saying, um, we understand that readers might be concerned about this. Like we, Slash the staff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we agree that we need like assurances that if this happens, we'll keep editorial independence, etc. And I mean, um, it's perfectly possible that they'd be completely independent of course even you know people obviously look at worst case scenario as you should but um um slightly different but you know people um talk about uh like lord rothermere for example and and the male titles but um i spoke to um i editor ollie duff quite recently and he said you know no way lord rothermere gets involved like he never ever Mm. um so it's right to worry about that but that won't necessarily happen but yeah and and you say about the political influence and uh yes it's very strong for that and but also in the u.s i think um uh, i read somewhere and again i can't remember where for this one but um uh that uh possibly jeff zucker would be thinking that the telegraph because uh, a few of them are thinking it could expand into the u.s mm. um so um they think there's kind of a center-right pool of people in the u.s that the telegraph could suit and obviously there's an election coming up there also yep. that's if there are any any center-right americans left in the market to <laughs> to target um, also in newspapers the guardian have announced their own cookie free ad products we've touched on this a little bit over the past uh, few weeks this is the google also the internet google rules are changing about cookies and accessing other people's cookies third party cookies um so uh we talked about the mail online's own solution last week 
Charlotte, what are the Guardian offering? So it's called Guardian Light, as in a light bulb. Okay. Um, and it's basically um, uh, they're trying to make sure that uh, they can give personalised advertising to the people that just click reject all, which right, yes. um, was also in the news this week because it's reject all should always be a one-click option and often it's not and mm. I think they're going to crack down on that. But So this will become even more important because probably when people realise how easy how they can reject they will i talked to my mum uh, we were talking about cookie banners she's not like super techno literate yeah and i said we can just press reject all and she went can i press that <laughs> yeah. uh, which I thought was actually quite a good statement because you sometimes think well if i say no i'll be redirected always to the yahoo homepage. i don't know why that's always the case it oh, seems really? to but be that's the rejection option or at least like there's something major on the web page you won't be able to see or use and yes. you'll be missing out some mm. major bit of the experience but that shouldn't usually be the case occasionally but um yeah, basically, they're, they've just got this new um, uh, kind of privacy-aware thing. They say they're the first news publisher in the UK to have it. Um, so basically, you'll get like uh, what they say is a contextually relevant ad, um, for example, for a food brand on a recipes page, but it hasn't used any personal data. Mm. So um, it, that's the kind of thing that advertisers want, rather than if you can't use any personal no, no personalization at the moment then you'll just get random Insurance stuff ad and, or whatever. yeah yeah um scott i mean sort of having a food ad next to a food section it just seems are we back to like 1985 of just mm. like if you if you've got a food supplement you'd be not surprised to find a magimix advert in it yeah i mean i also think just from a consumer um perspective they're just so annoyed of the whole bloody system in the first place like just the fact that on every single website you will ever go on forever you will have a box that comes up that says allow or reject it's like just give me the bloody news and mm. this is all that i'm here to see this is the reason why i'm on there and it does feel that like all of the rules have been put in place have made it more frustrating for the consumer than perhaps the advert selection that's there to help them guide them products it I, I mean, I, I'm not of that world per se. Mm. I can only sort of speak as somebody who goes on the internet a lot. But it's something that I think needs to just be a lot more smoother for people. And I, think, I think there's also a question that sometimes the sort of more non-personalised ads uh, seem less intrusive for customers and, and visitors. And you're like, oh, I, I'm more likely to look at the ads. I'm sort of scared at being followed. That sofa is following me around the internet. You know what the creepiest one of all? the adverts that say your name oh. so it's happened a few times on channel four or all four mm, or four od mm. or whatever <laughs> where it just goes scott there's this new car open the other day i was on there and it gave a advert for i think one of the mains um electronics chains mm. and then it then said oh by the way your nearest shop is in bethnal green and then it showed on the map during the adverts and I was like, no, get out. Just get too out. Much. No, this is too much. I, I, I can understand some whiz has gone, oh, AI and technology. And we can just say where they live and just give them their postcode and say whether they're at home alone to sell them a product. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, staying on uh, sort of internet <laughs> frenzy, uh, um, granddad, I'm just yeah, seeing... Sorry. I'm seeing... It's been a long week. Interesting what you think about this. So uh, are you aware of Mizzy, the self-styled TikTok uh, prankster has been jailed for 18 weeks by a judge who also said his TikTok videos were not funny. And this is a guy basically, he's sort of doing uh, stunts that are just really aggressive, aren't they? It's not even sort of funny. It's like rushing into people's houses and scaring them. Yeah, like goes beyond that. Like a thing 
that's bad enough is like a lot of people on the internet posting videos of people in the street without their permission whether they're just doing getting going about their day or whether you interact with them as well and he kind of took that even further um that judge quote was so funny i think the headline slightly takes out of context it just but really he said like um um it it was more of an admonishment rather Mm -hmm. than a judgment on on his sense of humor i think but yeah i think it's good that um because he literally after he was last in court he like went on um uh, tv i think and and was like yeah and was like the law is stupid and and i'm just gonna do it again so you do need to make an example sometimes uh also i sort of when when i sort of saw it all kick up originally i think you went to pierce morgan too didn't he yeah that um it's all about basically likes. It's the extreme version of wanting internet attention. Yeah. And uh, going for, and as a young, as a very young person who hasn't maybe considered much more about his life, um, just thinks, hey, this gets more interaction, more likes, more likes, more likes. I will do more and more extreme things. Well, the way that I sort of see it, though, is is that journalists have a responsibility about how much they cover these stories. Because I think in this case, you know, once you have somebody who is essentially a public troll, then given media attention for how much they are going to be, uh, that, that that they are a troll, um, it gives them a national platform to, I guess, give them what they want. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying avoid it. I think you can sometimes question it and make it accountable and journalism should not be therefore skipping stories. But I think there has to be a sensitivity around it and uh, have people questioning the purpose of having and interviewing these people as they would do with a whole range of different subjects. And you are right about just likes and attention i sort of find the tiktok age that we're in on social media very similar to the youtube sort of explosion that mm. we had about 10 years this is ago the first first wave of vloggers the first wave of vloggers just a lot of people doing a lot of things for attention like yeah. um, logan paul at the suicide forest yeah. that mm, kind of vibe mm, mm. and also part of the reason that telly put people like um mizzy on is to again get clicks like it's it's all it's the same sort of thing they want people to click on the youtube versions of that uh, or to attract attention back well, to that i mean I, I wouldn't say it's just for you know view sake in itself i entirely. bet though i bet in, I I bet think in, there is in a that editorial service. meeting there was probably a like oh this will this will go viral won't it when we have yeah, him possibly on. i mean it's hard to know exactly what the conversations mm. are within those newsrooms i think that there are m- multiple factors in play at the same time and of course it depends on the outlet and the reason whether they would want that person to be on or not but i think there is a there is a question about about how much do you fuel the flames, essentially. Mm. Um, uh, speaking about uh, uh, people and newsrooms asking questions, uh, I, I did enjoy who you, who someone was after and instead got through to you this week, Scott. What was that? Um, someone wanted you to talk about I'm a Celebrity. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was contacted by a news broadcaster this week and I think what happened was they meant me to go on to talk about I'm a Celebrity, but instead they um, had sent the email that they were meaning to send Christine Hamilton's <laughs> agent. <laughs> so it's like, can we have Christine Hamilton on? Just straight to my email. Um, a car can pick her up and do her makeup. Um, <laughs> let me know. It'd be great to have her on the programme. So I then responded, unfortunately, I'm in Salford. I can't help with this item. And then I responded a minute later. And I'm not Christine Hamilton. <laughs> Any reply? Uh, yeah, they said, whoops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, well, speaking of winning, and I see that that's winning this week, uh, there's just enough time for the media quiz, which this week's entitled, And the Winner Is. Uh, there have been a few winners this week as various media awards dues have taken place. I'm going to give you the category. Yeah. 
You tell me the winner. Uh, it's best of three. Buzz in with your names if you know okay. the answer. So Charlotte, you will say... Charlotte. And Scott, you will say... Christine Hamilton. Uh, let's play. <laughs> and the winner is... Right, it's question number one. Best comedy. Christine Hamilton. Uh, there it goes. Yes. Correct. I mean, what Which else award could ceremony? Uh, International Emmys of Lisa McGee's, like... She has had... She's won so many awards now... Once I saw her at the RTS Awards, where I think she won too, and she had literal difficulty trying to stuff <laughs> her awards into her bag and get the zip up. And I would say to her at the time, that is being successful when you're having problems like this. Uh, and uh, Derry Girls actually shared the award with someone. An extra Ooh. extra bonus point if you know no. who they shared it with. Sorry, Lisa. Uh, the An Indian Netflix comedy special. Moving on, question number two. Uh, so this is the category, uh, Audio Network or Publisher of the Year? Charlotte. Charlotte. Residence FM. Correct. Uh, Residence FM. They uh, won at the Audio Production Awards, uh, which took place on Wednesday. Uh, Scott, Residence is a community arts radio station in London. Yeah. Sort of quite surprising that they managed to beat the big boys. Yeah, girls. I mean, but I think that's great, isn't it? Because I, sometimes I think that smaller networks think on their feet have to have creative ideas i've always been a firm believer sometimes that that it always comes down to creativity money of course is great helps but an idea is greater than money i remember when residence first started i think it's just celebrated 25 years and they had a show where uh, a mother uh pushed around a pram around uh like a, a local garden mm. um a local park and they had a and she had a microphone inside the pram and so you sort of picked up this soundscape and like snatched bits of conversation as you went around the park, which that's, I thought was quite lovely. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, right, point each. Well done. So it's all on this. Uh, question number three. Uh, slightly different. Who won a 10-year contract this week? Oh! Kristen Hamilton. <laughs> yes. um, I always get their names mixed up. Jackie O mm. and... Kyle. Kyle. Kyle and Jackie yes, O. Yes, of course. The next word I was going to say. <laughs> Who are Kyle and Jackie O? People aren't aware of their work. They are very well-known Australian um, uh, radio presenters. They've been on that station for years. I remember that they have been embroiled in quite a few controversies, some serious, some not so serious. Um, I listened to their announcement to say that they're going to be staying on and of course, the immediate shudder where they swore within ten seconds because, of course, you're not used to having like I was listening on to breakfast radio as on well. Breakfast yeah. radio because I was listening to Nick Grimshaw's and um, uh, Annie Max. Max' great new podcast, and of course, they swear on that too because it's a podcast, mm. and that still kind of unnerves me. I'm not against swearing; <laughs> so I'm not used to hearing very established radio broadcasters swearing randomly mm. between them because, of course, that's on sounds, but they do it all the time on Jackie O. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that it's a 10-year commitment? Yeah, so this is a 10-year deal uh, worth around 200 million Australian dollars. Gosh. Uh, so long amount of time, big money. So the reason they've, they have sprung for this much cash, this is ARN in Australia, uh, is the show is hugely successful, uh, very profitable uh, for ARN. They're also going to start simulcasting it into uh, another capital city. So it's going to go into another place. Uh, and so it'll make they believe some more money from that from that location and they reckon it'll it'll cost them like new money about three or four million dollars a year um over that contract like the advertising that will flow from this deal will uh make it make it work for them but it is also just a little bit kind of unnerving to have a commitment about the future of media mm. when it's all shifting particularly when yeah. it comes to audio shifting in a big way i mean of course they can launch 
more audio products have more available on demand but for you to just go yeah we're going to sign up with this talent for 10 years and in 10 years time it's still going to be great is a very big move it is i did sort of think like are there is there some talent and we sort of touched on clarkson already uh, Mm. on today's show that um has a has a good chance actually of, of remaining and in a world where everything gets split a million ways yeah uh, taking some some big bets to secure them even for the beginning of that contract uh, might work worth uh, work out charlotte i also think often about columnists like columnists often for newspapers get kind of big money and you think really is this sort of person worth it to those to those outlets but they love them it's true i mean you see even like um today is the day after budget day and um, some of the newspaper front pages I think the Telegraph I'm thinking in particular at the top they've got all the columnists like these are the people that are talking about the budget and that's what the readers want but Mm. yeah I think of Boris Johnson at the Daily Mail massive Um, Daily Mail front page often has a half the front page is often uh, trailing a column Um, so I don't. I don't know if there's any evidence. I, I'd love to see evidence mm. of like linking the columnists and the other and other big names to actually well, the money. But. I think often there's like that audience audience connection on anything: TV, radio, internet, um, TikTok, or, or newspapers, where it's familiarity. You sort of know what to expect. You like the content, and it sort of keeps you coming back, doesn't it? Mm. Um, whereas more esoteric things like the news or music uh, maybe has less of that pull for these big brands. Well, it's like um, that's kind of why podcasts have done well isn't it people like put the personalities on there so it's kind of the same thing just transplanted to a different medium uh, it is and uh, thank you the media podcast listener for sticking with the great talent uh, that you've got here uh, scott uh, what does christine win well obviously she gets a car and makeup uh, wherever wherever she wants uh, and uh, she also gets my email uh, she also gets a 10 year 20 dollar contract <laughs> wow uh, for the media podcast uh, well done to her uh, and thank you both uh, where can people keep up with what you're writing charlotte uh, pressgazette.co.uk excellent and scott at scotty gb everywhere on social media pretty much uh, lovely thank you both thank you thank you and that's it from us today at the london podcast studios it's where all the cool kids are and remember you can get 25 percent off your first booking when you use the code mediapod at vertlondonpodcaststudios.com that's vertlondonpodcaststudios.com use the code mediapod for 25 percent off uh, and if you're new to the show remember to hit follow uh, on your podcast app of choice to get us in your ears all year round uh, my name is matt deegan the producer was matt hill with support from maya cedar lund it was a rethink audio production and I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.